familiar with the term falling in love, right? You've heard that term. And, um, you know, it's kind of like as if, whoops, we just fell in love all of a sudden. It doesn't quite happen that way, but we know what the term means. We get it. Uh, you know, there he or she was, and uh, they were waiting to pick me up after I fell, right? Um, you know, researchers say that falling in love is sometimes close to the closest thing that it um, emulates is insanity. Did you know that? <laughs> that's, a, that's a true fact. Um, there was, like the female astronaut in 2007, this was a bad example of it, but who was so obsessed with her lover that she put on a diaper so that she could drive without stopping in order to kill a woman she thought was a rival to the man she loved. Insanity, right? Insanity. Well, here are some other strange things that researchers have found that love makes you do. It's from the Huffington Post. First of all, love makes you dumb. I thought that one was good. Studies have shown that people who are passionately in love are less able to focus and to perform tasks that require attention, right? You've, some of you have been there. How many have been there before? Come on, just be, come on. We can be transparent in church, right? Uh, secondly, love makes you high. Scientists have the MRI, MRI scans to prove it. They said when you fall in love, the same neural system in your brain linked to cocaine addiction becomes active. <laughs> giving you that feeling of euphoria. (laughs) Thirdly, love can make you less vulnerable to pain. Good thing, right? It turns out that some of the areas of the brain activated by feelings of love are the same areas that are activated by drugs that reduce pain. It's pretty cool, right? Fourth, man, you'll appreciate this, love makes you walk slower. It's, it's proven for the guys, that is. Researchers have found that men adjust their walking speed to match their romantic partner's pace, an odd phenomenon not seen when guys walk with someone they consider just a friend. Ladies, you got us. You got us. If we're willing to slow down our pace, that means we love you, right? Men, if you haven't slowed down your pace for your, with your wife and you leave her in the dust all the time, slow down. Okay, they don't like it. I learned that the hard way. (laughs) Fifthly, it changes your heartbeat to match your special someone's. Studies suggest that when you're in love, your heart beats as fast as your partner's, so they're at the same rate. Isn't that romantic? Isn't that pretty cool? Love does all those things. Now, as followers of Jesus, we know that love is more than simply a feeling, right? Love is not just a feeling. Although feelings do go with love at times, love is a choice. Love is an action. Love is laying down your life on a bloody cross like Jesus did, right? That's love. Love is a verb. It's not just a feeling. See, our world's got it twisted. They'll tell you that love is simply a feeling, but it's not. It's a verb. It's a choice that Jesus empowers us to do. Jesus chose to love me when I didn't deserve it, I choose to love my wife on days that I don't feel the love. And I'm sure it's even more like that for her because I'm a knucklehead. 
right? It's much, ladies, it's much harder for you to love us on certain days than it is for us to love you. But my message today isn't about love per se. It's about faith. But the reason I shared about love is because faith is a lot like love. You see, if we're not careful, we can fall out of faith just like we fall out of love. We can fall in and out of faith based on our feelings and our circumstances. Isn't that why people fall out of love? The, the feelings aren't there anymore. The butterflies aren't there anymore. We know that that's the wrong only, it's not the only motivation for love. When the feelings end, we choose to love and those feelings will return as we love at various times. But faith is much the same way. It's, we can fall out of faith based on our feelings and on our circumstances. And if we're not careful, we can file for divorce, a divorce from faith. It really can happen even without us realizing it. You see, when me personally, when I'm not in faith, I start making dumb decisions based on fear. If you're making decisions based on fear, it's a poor motivation. It's a, it's a bad way to make decisions. I stop taking risks when I'm not in faith. I start retreating instead of advancing when I'm not in faith. I start trying to hold on to what I have tightly instead of releasing it to the Lord. You know, you know the feeling, don't you? We all know that feeling. See, faith and fear are opposites. A believer without faith is like a car without an engine. They've got all the trappings, all the outside endeavors, but without the engine, we're going nowhere. Also, your faith can grow. Jesus told some people in the Bible that they had great faith and others that they had little faith. Your faith can be a four-cylinder Honda Civic or it can be a 12-cylinder Jaguar S-Series, right? I want the 12-cylinder. I'll be honest. Recently, I've been wrestling with this on my own. Just a subtle shift. You know how it starts. You say things like, Lord, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Right? I've been saying to God things like, I've been in Boston here almost seven years now, and the church is nearly six years old, and I'm not necessarily seeing what I saw in my heart in some areas when I came. And Lord, I didn't have to work multiple jobs when I came from Rochester. I didn't have, Lord, I don't have a retirement plan here. Lord, I'm not in my 20s anymore. I'm in, not even in my 30s. I'm in my 40s, Lord, as if he couldn't tell, right? It's as if somehow we sometimes think we're owed those things when we serve him. And yet Jesus doesn't owe us anything. He gives us everything because he's good. What if it means, I was sitting actually down with your, your pastor and your bishop about a month ago, and he really encouraged me because I was kind of processing some of this stuff with him. And uh, he asked me some questions. You know, you, a, a good mentor, what they do is they ask you questions and they speak into your life without letting you off the hook, right? They empathize, they understand, and yet they bring faith to you. And that's what Bishop did about a month ago. And I, I was asking these questions and he says, you have to come to a resolution, Kent. What if it means, you know, in, in Rochester, we had a house, a four bedroom house that we sold to move here. And I don't regret that. But here, having a house is a much bigger deal. 
He said, what if it means that you never have a house, Kent? What if it means that you have to live in an apartment for the rest of your life? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to waste your life on Jesus? He said, you have to resolve that in your heart. And he helped me turn that corner and say, God, your word is more real to me than my circumstances. Lord, who you are is worth anything that I have to seemingly give up. But the Lord encouraged me with this as well because he is a good father. And it doesn't mean he owes us anything. We don't know what he's going to give us, what he's not going to give us. We can pray for those things. But he's been encouraging me with this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. See, in the end, it's what many of those tests and trials are about. It's about will you hold on when things get uncomfortable? See, God's trying to bring faith out of you that looks like pure gold. And pure gold only comes one way, brothers and sisters. It comes through the fire. Does his will trump yours? Do you believe that he's good no matter what? See, the enemy is out to steal your faith. He comes for one reason, to kill, to steal, and destroy. And if he can take your faith, he's got you. If he can get your faith, it will affect every other area of your life. Why? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. You can't please God. You can't walk with God. You can't do anything that he calls you to do. You can't be his son or daughter. None of those things happen without faith. I believe God gave me this word just for y'all today. This isn't a recycled message. I'm not preaching it at our church when I go back at 1030 this morning to share with our congregation. God is taking you on a new journey. I believe that. Bishop and Carmen and PT, I believe God wants to renew and revive your faith. He wants to give you fresh faith for the next leg of the journey. Yeah, let's give him praise for that. And that next leg of the journey, I believe it's multiplication. It's multiplication. It's going to be fun. There are going to be things that happen in waves. They're just going to go boom, boom, boom. When it rains, it pours, right? You're going to have a short respite and the wave's going to crash again. One after the other, a little time to rest and breathe. And then he's bringing it in again. God's favor and influence, I believe, are overtaking you. It's a great day of harvest. I believe the Lord, this is a script, one of the scriptures he would give to you. Um, it's John 4, 38. Don't wait and say four months until the harvest is here. The fields are white for harvest. And then it goes on to say, I've sent you to reap for that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. You're not done, PT, you know this. You're not finished. God has more. There's more in his heart for you. And you've been found faithful with the little that he's given you. And so he wants to expand your influence even further. He's good like that, isn't he? He's good. Now, listen, you know this, but there's battles to be fought. There's giants that need to be slain. There are valleys to go through in the end, but we have the victory in Christ. Over all things, we have the victory in Christ because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world.
I want to talk about faith today. I want you to grab onto it and receive what the Lord has for you today. As we get into this, I just want to give you a few reasons. And you have a handout uh, that you should have got when you walked in. It says falling out of faith looks like this. And I want to talk about just for a minute before we dive in, why is faith so important? I want to just give you some bullet points to kind of set the tone for why faith is so vital to us. First of all, faith is the currency of heaven. You can't receive anything from God without faith. How do I know? Scriptures say it's impossible to please God without faith. We'll talk a little bit more about what faith is. We'll give you a definition in a little bit. Secondly, we're saved through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. We're saved by grace through faith. The two work together. Grace is what saves us. God's unmerited favor, his free gift. And he died even though he didn't have to, to save a people who didn't want to be saved. And we put our faith, our trust in him that he's already done that through Jesus Christ. He's paid for sin and he's rose again that we can have new life. We're saved by grace through faith. Faith gives us access to God's grace. Did you know that? Here's how I define grace. Grace is the power to be, first and foremost, the person he's called you to be, his son and daughter. And secondly, it's the power to do what he's called you to do. And the way that we receive grace is through faith. We put our trust in God that it's already been purchased and we receive it by faith. By faith, we perceive God, his kingdom, and his activity. Did you know you can't even see God's kingdom without being born again. That's what John 3 says. We can't even perceive what God is doing without faith. See, we have to see through different eyes. It's not through our physical eyes. It's through our eye of faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. And then finally, we all have a measure of faith. Now, don't say you don't have any faith because that's just not true. It's in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. It says we've all been given a measure of faith. It says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. But here, you want to know what I think most Christians do? I think we think of ourselves more lowly than we ought. See, we we put our faith aside and we say, I don't have any faith. I don't have faith like that person. And what you don't see with that person is they might have great faith, but there's been great struggle too. See, we've all been given a measure of faith. When you came to Christ, when you surrendered your life and you invited him to be the Lord of your life and he came in, he implanted within you the incorruptible seed of his word and that carries faith. So how do we stay in faith? How do we fight the good fight of faith? How do we foster faith? How do we keep the faith? How do we even know that we're in faith in the first place? God's word tells us how to do all these things. Let me start by giving you a definition of faith. It's on your, it's on your sheet there, but faith is belief and trust in who God is, what he has done and what he can do. If you want to boil it down even simpler, it's belief and trust. Faith equals trust. Now I'm going to require some crowd participation here. Who is, and you could just all shout at the same time. Who's the first person that comes to mind when you think of faith? Go ahead and just shout them out. Abraham, Abraham, any others? I heard a lot of Abraham. Moses, Joseph. There's lots of people we think of, but Abraham seems to be the predominant one. Why? Because he's called in the scripture, the father of faith, isn't he? I want to talk to you. I want to take you on a little journey through Abraham's life. God promised Abraham that he would become the father of many nations. 
You know that's a crazy promise, right? You'll become, what if God came to you and said that? You're going to be the father of many nations. Okay, now Abraham was 75 around that age when God came to him and said, you're going to be the father of many nations. God got around to fulfilling it about the time Abraham was 100. Now, I'm 41, and when I look at the energy difference between having my first son, Cole, when I was 29, and my last son, John, when I was 38, there was quite a difference. In fact, I think we're done with three. Okay, I love my children dearly, but I don't know if I have the energy to keep having kids into my 40s and 50s, right? Here we have Abraham, 75 years old, and God gets around to fulfilling the promise when he's 100. Now, he lived a little longer than we live. He lived to about 175, but still, that takes faith, doesn't it? Takes faith. Now, Abraham, his life, we sometimes romanticize his life, but it was full of peaks and valleys. As Abraham received this promise and he's called by God, and I'm not going to go all through the book of Genesis. We're mainly going to focus on Romans chapter 4, but in Genesis 12 through Genesis 22, it's all about Abraham. And Abraham starts by being called by God and receiving this wonderful promise. As soon as he receives this promise, you know what he encounters? A famine, right? Thanks, God. <laughs> Genesis twelve ten through 20. Then Lot is captured. His nephew Lot is captured. And he has to take an army after Lot, a small army of his servants to go get Lot. He saves and brings him back. God renews the covenant again. And he does this throughout Abraham's life. Why? Because Abraham needed fresh faith. He needed fresh encouragement. He came over and over and said, Abraham, this is the promise. You're going to be the father of many nations. Look up at the stars. See how many stars there are? You can't count them. That's going to be like your offspring, Abraham. Abraham takes the promise after God renews the covenant. He takes the promise into his own hands, him and his wife, and they have Ishmael with Abraham's servant. Then God promises a son to Sarah. She laughs. You remember that? She laughs. She says, I'm too old. I'm 90. This is when he shows up. (laughs) You would laugh too. Come on. (laughs) Isaac is born, and then Abraham faces his greatest test. Abraham, take your son Isaac up to the mountain and sacrifice him there. See, he's the father of faith, but we could say he's the father of many tests and trials too. He goes through all this crazy stuff in life. You have these highs and these lows and he's, and through it all, he becomes the father of faith. How did he do it? The apostle Paul tells us what happened in the life of Abraham through the eyes of faith. I want to give you four keys to faith from Romans chapter four, and they're on your um, sheet there. And there's a couple fill in the blanks. And so um, I'll give you those as we go. The first key to faith from Romans 4 is faith makes us right with God. That's the fill in the blank. Faith makes us right with God. We're going to read from Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. It says, Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of the Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about, but that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous. Why? 
because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. Say that with me, without working for it. Here's what David said. Oh, what a joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. You see, we don't earn our way to God. We simply believe in the God who forgives sinners. Simply believe. We have nothing to offer God. Nothing we do or nothing we have done can save us. It's only God. Maybe some of you are saying, Pastor, are you telling me I don't have to do anything for God to accept me, for God to love me, for God to forgive me? That's exactly what I'm telling you. It's not based on you. See, sons and daughters inherit. Sons and daughters inherit. They receive. Now, this doesn't mean that there's no work involved in the Christian life, but it's not work that saves you. It's the good labor of advancing his kingdom with him. With him. That's why Romans 4, 7, and 8 quotes King David saying, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven. See, Christ's forgiveness and salvation are beautiful. It's an extravagant gift that we didn't do anything to earn. Have you ever been given an extravagant gift? Raise your hand if you've been given an extravagant gift. I remember um, in 2012, it was just before our third boy was born, and we actually had this little car, um, and it was a Saturn wagon. It was a blessing. It had been given to us years before. It had run wonderfully, but we were growing out of it. When we took that thing on a trip with just four of us and a fifth was coming, that thing was packed to the hilt. We had to put one of those big car top carriers on top just to get anywhere that we were traveling for more than a couple of days. So we had been praying for about three years that God would give us a minivan. Okay, minivans are a blessing, by the way. And I know my wife didn't want one at first. She didn't want to be the soccer mom, but she loves it now. So if you're, if you're struggling with it, you want a minivan. Trust me. So three years we prayed. Our children prayed with us. We had a picture hanging on our refrigerator of a Toyota Sienna. That's what we decided we had wanted. And we were going to, I learned a long time, listen, ask God for what you want, right? Because one time I asked him for a laptop computer and I said, whatever you give me, Lord, is fine. <laughs> I needed one for mystery. He gave me one and it was a used one from a friend. It was a blessing for about six months and then it broke. And, and when I said, Lord, what's the deal with this? He said, that's, you, that's what you asked for. You said, whatever, whatever. So I said, God, I want a new laptop computer. <laughs> That's going to be a blessing for a while. <laughs> Same thing with the van. So we asked God, we prayed for three years. About a week before Thanksgiving, when my third boy was born, we're in service and there was a couple that had been coming at the time and they're no longer with us because they, they were from New York State. They were coming here for school. And uh, they came up to us and they, right before service, my wife was practicing worship with the team, came up to me, they said, um, the Lord has instructed us to give you our van. I, I started crying immediately, and then I weeped harder when they said, it's a Toyota Sienna. 
It's a 2009 with 47,000 miles on it. And if you knew these people, they kept things immaculate. I mean, this was a, this is a beautiful van. And every time I get into it, I'm reminded of God's faithfulness. I'm reminded of his extravagant gift of salvation that he gives without any strings attached, that he gives because he's good and not because I deserved it. Isn't God good? He really is. So I want to ask you today, where's your focus? Because faith focuses on the finished work of Christ not on all our shortcomings. Listen, some of you are focused on your shortcomings. You're looking at your own inadequacies, your own sin all the time, and it's hindering you from looking at the eyes of faith. I'm not saying we shouldn't acknowledge it. We bring it before the Lord and we repent and we give it to Jesus who forgives sinners. Stop carrying it. It will hinder you from walking by faith. Give it to Jesus who can handle it. Secondly, faith is proved by your works. The fill in the blank is proved. Faith is proved by your works. Let's read Romans 4, 9 through 15. Now is this blessing only for the Jews or is it also for uncircumcised Gentiles? Well, we've been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. But how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised or was it before he was circumcised? Clearly, God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him righteous even before he was circumcised. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised, the Gentiles, right? They are counted as righteous because of their faith, and Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, but only if they have the same kind of faith Abraham had before he was circumcised. Clearly, God's promise is to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants. It was not based on obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If only, if God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless for the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. See, faith without works is dead, but works without faith is meaningless. It's meaningless. It's for vain human pride and glory. Faith comes first. God accepts us when we believe and works follow. Works come out of a heart that has been transformed by Christ. Good deeds are a result of our faith and they're not what save us and they don't get God to love you more. I want you to know that today. It's called legalism. When we think that our works will get God to love us more. There's this thing, it's a long term, but it's not hard to understand. It's called justification. 
And what justification means is when you surrender your life to Christ and you invite him to forgive your sin and cleanse you and be the Lord of your life, when you authentically do that and you're transformed from the inside out, he will never love you any less or any more than he does at that moment based on your performance. If you do great, he loves you the same. If you do poorly, he loves you the same because he's a rock. He's steadfast. He's secure. He's steady and his love does not change. Amen. Amen. Some of you need to hear that today because you've been rating your, how God loves you based on your performance. And his love is not based on your performance. His love is based on what his son Jesus did on your behalf. Amen. My first seven years as a Christian were frustrating. They were like a roller coaster. I had, I had these certain patterns that I couldn't escape. It was like, it was kind of like, um, I was saved and I knew it, but then un- unknowingly I said, okay, God, I'll take it from here. I- I'm going to do this holiness thing. That's the type of person I am. I'm like, I'm like one of those D personalities. I'm highly motivated. I'm going to get it done. And Lord, I'm going to do this holiness thing. I kept falling on my face over and over. I kept hitting my head against the wall. And finally I said, God, what is going on? Like, why can't I escape these certain sin patterns? Why can't I have freedom from these certain things? Why do I keep getting angry and wrathful? Why can't I overcome this stuff? It was because I didn't understand grace. See, grace is to be received by faith. Did you know that we live from God? not for God. That's what grace is. See, grace not only saves us, but it empowers us to be who we're called to be and to do what we're called to do. Grace wasn't over when you received Christ. Grace was just beginning. That's the power of grace. When tradition trumps faith, You've fallen out of faith. See, that's what this passage is pointing to. It was talking about circumcision, right? It was saying Abraham believed first. The faith came first. Then came the work, circumcision. But the Jews were doing it backwards. They were saying you need to be circumcised and then you will have faith. But that's not what God said. When you... when tradition begins to trump faith, you've fallen out of faith. And it can happen to any of us. It can happen anywhere. It's not just folks who've been in a certain church for years and decades or churches that have been around for thousands of years. It can happen to anyone when tradition trumps faith. We fall out of faith. Whenever we do something without understanding why we do it, it can become tradition. The Jewish people were getting circumcised because Abraham did. The problem was Abraham did it as a sign. They were doing it as a tradition. And they fell out of faith. Get off that roller coaster of legalism. Receive God's grace by faith. That's the third point. Faith is the key to receiving all that God has for us. Faith is the key to receiving all that God has for us. Let's read Romans 4, 16 through 19. So the promise is received by faith. Say that with me because it's so important. The promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift and we are all certain to receive it whether or not we live according to the law of Moses if we have faith like Abraham's. 
For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I've made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken. This is amazing. It did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. See, Scripture says it's more blessed to give than receive. But if we're going to be good givers, we've got to learn how to be good receivers. I'm going to say that again. If we're going to be good givers, we have to learn how to be good receivers because really what we're doing in our relationship with God, if we're living from God and not for God, is we're receiving and we're giving out. Our vision at uh, Journey Church is to experience the transforming love of Christ so that we can love God, love others, and serve the world. That, hu- that point, that first one is huge for us. It comes from 1 John 4.19 that we love because he first what? loved us. Before you ever give out, you have to receive the transforming love of Christ and it enables you and it empowers you to give your life to others. See, it's not whether I do all this stuff, whether I jump through hoop A, B, and C, whether I take this class, it's much more simple than that. Believe in God and his promises and receive what he has. Everything God has made available in Christ is available to all his children. Listen, he doesn't discriminate. He's not a respecter of one person and will do something differently for another. Every promise available in Christ is available to all his children. Some of us have been living as orphans. You're not an orphan. You're a son and a daughter. Back in 2014, our church did a uh, launch or a grand opening. It was, uh, we hadn't done that in the beginning when we started and we were in a place where we were ready to do it. And I was already um, raising a family, pastoring the church uh, full-time at that point. Uh, actually, not full-time. I had a part-time job as well. Um, and so I had all these things going on and we were going to do this launch on top of it for which I needed to raise about $30,000 and it required a ton of work. And our team was awesome. They were so, um, we did this all together, but needless to say, I felt overwhelmed. And one day I was, it was one of those days when, you know, when you have a laundry list of stuff to go to God with, like I was looking forward to my afternoon prayer time, but it wasn't just to spend time with it. It's like, God, I got to talk to you. Like I got here's my list, God. And I'm going to go through this list and I need answers to all these problems. And I just need all, like, you got to help me. I was all fired up. I was worked up. I was anxious. And I go down and I start to pray. I put on some worship music and I just got more anxious by the second. It was like building, building, building. And suddenly this song came on. I was listening to a live worship stream and it started singing. The worship leader started singing Matthew 11, 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And I laid down on the bed And and God just spoke to my heart so clearly that day. I'll never forget it. He said, Kent, you don't have to understand everything going on to receive my rest. Rest is to be received. And so I, I laid there and I received his rest and he revived me. He renewed me. He filled me afresh. And guess what? This list, it was like, I don't care about the list, right? It didn't matter. 
Uh, that happens all the time when you, when I go on, when I go on a retreat, um, and I stop doing this, I'll just take a few things now, but I used to take this long list of things that I need to pray through. And it was like, as soon as I'd get there, I'd be spending time with Jesus and the list didn't matter anymore. Like he'll give answers when he needs to give answers, right? He's not going to give an answer because we're pushing him and because we need it so bad. He knows when we need it, right? So how do we learn to receive from God and not strive? We must fight for rest. It sounds odd, I know that, but that's what the Scripture says, that we've got to strive for rest. That's what it says in Hebrews. We've got to fight against striving in our own ability, and the good fight of faith is this, fight to receive from God. Fight to receive rest from God. Fight to be still. Everything in this earth will keep you from trying to be still before God and receiving from Him. That's what life does. In the age of all this technology, we have it in our pocket. We can do anything we want with us. Everything coming at us. People can get a hold of us anytime they want. Turn it off and fight for rest and receive what God has for you. Amen. Lastly, last point, ever increasing faith brings glory to God. Ever-increasing faith brings glory to God. Let's read the final part of this passage, Romans 4, 20 through 25. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. Don't you want that testimony? Never waver in God's promise throughout your life and your faith growing stronger. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us righteous if we believe in him, that the one who raised Jesus from the Lord, our Lord from the dead, he was handed over to die because of our sins and he was raised to life to make us right with God. So what does that mean? Does it mean that Abraham never had a doubt? What do you think? Probably not. I don't think it means Abraham was perfect. We know he wasn't perfect, right? In fact, Abraham had a lot of doubts, it seemed like. Sarah had a lot of doubts. They had so much doubt that they tried to make it happen on their own. So it doesn't mean that he never had a doubt when it says his faith never wavered. It never doesn't mean he didn't make a mistake. It means he held on to God's promise and he didn't let it go no matter what happened. Whether he fell on his face, whether he was flying that day, he held on to God's promise and he did not let go until it came to pass. I like what um, one commentary said from John Calvin. It said, the faithful have a continual conflict. And in this conflict, their faith is often dreadfully shaken and distressed. But at length, it comes forth victorious so that they may be said to be strong even in weakness. So don't think that your faith growing stronger and you holding on to your faith means you never make a mistake. It's God's will for you that your faith grows ever stronger throughout the course of your life. That's God's will for you. It doesn't mean he never doubted. And listen closely. You're not down for the count. If you've made a mistake, you're not disqualified. Get back up. That's what faith does. Faith gets back up when it looks like you can't. Come on, let's give God praise for that. (laughs) 
over the years, when you start putting the pieces together, you will see how God increases your faith if you let him. Many of you have that testimony. I know that. If you don't get distracted, if you fight the good fight of faith. So what are you doing to foster faith? What are you doing to foster faith? Everything God did for Abraham, he can do for you. He never wavered in believing God's promise. He was absolutely convinced. He became the father of many nations. But I wonder sometimes if Abraham didn't waver because God showed him glimpses of the big picture. I wonder if that's what the covenant was all about, renewing it. When he'd come to Abraham and he'd say, come here, Abraham, let me take you out to the field here. Look up at the stars. Would you with me, Abraham, for a minute? See all those stars? That's how many descendants you're going to have. I wonder if he even got more specific. The scripture doesn't say this, but I just wonder if, if in between the lines this could have been the case. Abraham, this is going to be for your future son, Isaac. Abraham, this is going to be for your grandson, Jacob. Abraham, you might not see this now, but one day the Messiah is going to come from your family line. This is for that, Abraham. See, he's the God of generations. We don't always see it that way. We're just so focused on the grind right in front of us that God has to pick our eyes up and say, look at the stars for a minute. Look at the stars. So PT, I want to tell you today, don't back off for one second. Don't get weary in well-doing and don't fall out of faith. Say that with me. I'm not going to fall out of faith. We will not fall out of faith. I want to close with this before I pray. I threw my paper. I don't even know where it went. (laughs) I can get it. Thank you. At the end there, it says, have WW2 faith. Why did I call it that? I call it World War II faith. Because the scripture says that we're to fight the good fight of faith, right? And this is D-Day for some of you. God is renewing your faith. He's reviving your faith. Remember what D-Day was? They stormed the beaches of Normandy and it wasn't the end of the war, but it was the turning point. Today is the beach of Normandy and you need to have World War II faith. By faith, we walk, we work, we inherit, and we increase all to bring glory to God. Let's give God praise. I want to pray for you, and I'm going to turn it over to whoever's uh, closing the service. Let's pray. Pray with me, if you will. And if you're in that posture today, um, just be in the posture of receiving from God. God, I thank you that your book, your story, the story of Abraham, and, and all the heroes in faith encourage us, God. And we know that as much as we call them heroes of faith, Their lives looked many times just like ours. They were struggling. They had doubts. But God, your spirit revived them. You gave them fresh faith and caused their perspective to change. Some of our perspectives need to shift right now. God wants to give you a perspective shift. He wants you to begin seeing by the eyes of faith. And you've got to do things to foster faith. For me, that means going on a retreat every three or four months. For me, that means daily intimacy with God. You've got to find what fosters faith in your life and do it. Jesus, I pray for those who are weary and broken right now, God. Those who say, I don't have any faith left. God, you gave us a measure of faith and it's still in there because it's based on Jesus, not on us. 
And so, God, I pray that that I just see seeds right now in the spirit. They're growing and they're popping out fresh green shoots. And so that's for some of you today. Some of you have been walking with God for many years and you've been building a legacy and a life of faith. And I hear the Lord saying, now it's time to impart that faith to others. See, you can come along somebody that's struggling with their faith and you can pick them up just like Bishop did me that day. God wants you to do that for somebody else. If you have a gift of faith, which I believe is on this church, which I believe is on Bishop and Carmen, if you have that gift of faith, God wants you to sow it to someone else. Holy Spirit, you reign and we love you. Thank you for reviving hopes and dreams today and giving fresh faith in Jesus' name. Amen.